Hey there, Emo for Easy listeners. Drew here, recording from ASAP 2019 in snowy Denver, Colorado. It was 70 degrees and sunny last night, and uh, this morning we woke up to freezing rain, and I almost bit it on some metal grates walking over to this recording. So here with co-host Andy Little, we got two awesome guests. Len Wood and Tim Binkman are going to talk to us about a new project that they've been working on in conjunction with ASAP a little bit until help arrives. So guys, tell us who you are and, and what this project's all about. Fantastic. Well, first off, thanks for having us on this podcast. Um, so my name's Landon Wood. I'm a fourth year EM resident over in Rhode Island at uh, Kent Hospital. About all you need to know, I guess. Yeah. Uh, you guys can't tell from his voice. There's a little Canadian in there. That's, that's right. <laughs> He's I am trying actively hard for not to show, but it's <laughs> he looks it's a little out. Canadian too. I'm going to be honest. He just has that uh, suave, I had suave be- look about him. Yeah, yeah, I cut a few inches off the beard before coming. You know, I mean, the snow's appropriate though. Maybe I brought that with me. Yeah, you, you, you feel like you're right at home. My name is Tim Bickman. Again, uh, it's great to be on the podcast, EM Over Easy. I'm a third-year resident at Kent Hospital with Landon and originally from Idaho. So you guys have been working with a little funding from ASAP on this project until help arrives. Tell us what that is and what the inspiration was for the project. I think it all started uh, as me coming to the end of my residency and Tim coming up on his end of his residency as well. We do two trauma rotations out of state, out of Rhode Island. And we do it at trauma at shock trauma in Baltimore. You know, I think many people are aware of good old Baltimore. It's a very calm, peaceful city, um, which leads to a, a very calm trauma center. No, I'm joking. But so we see a lot of trauma there. There's a lot of other trauma centers. We were actually became certified instructors for the Stop the Bleed program, which I think many people are aware of. And this kind of spiked an interest in myself as well as Tim that there really wasn't enough training in the communities. We both have young children. And so we really uh, felt this need to kind of educate the communities, especially with all the active shooters. Every day there's a new bad event, something going on. And so that's kind of what spiked our interest in order to kind of reach out in order to develop something where we could benefit our communities uh, in that aspect. And uh, ASEP has a chapter grant program where like individual chapters around the country can fill out an application to get some extra funding for a project. And so for us, we were thinking, well, let's get some extra funding so that we can buy the supplies to the training kits, essentially. Which are not the, cheap. No, they're not, like $1,500 to start teaching some of these uh, Stop the Bleed programs around uh, our area. So we filled out the application and uh, we ended up getting accepted for just over $13,000 for the the grant program. And then ASAP reached out to us and said, hey, in fact, we're looking at starting our, our own program called Until Help Arrives. And we'd like you guys to be a part of developing the program and then piloting the program. That's awesome. So I think a lot of listeners are going to be familiar with Stop the Bleed concept of getting a tourniquet on quickly, doing basic procedures to stop somebody from bleeding if they have a bleeding extremity or a bleeding wound that can quickly get to and then getting help. What is different and unique about what you guys are doing that makes it maybe a more interesting program? Well, first of all, it's EM grounded. So <laughs> it's not trauma surgeon. It's uh, emergency medicine grounded, which is great. And it's EM doctors and other personnel that are really kind of pushing this forward. Um, it definitely does cover the stop the bleed tourniquet type aspect. But we've also added in compression only CPR as well. It's actually based off a longer program that was federally made called You Are the Help Until Help Arrives. It's a big program online. It's too many words. Exactly, yeah. So UHA or Until Help Arrives was much better. And it also slimmed down that program to one hour session, about half hour of lecture, and then half hour of hands-on teaching tourniquets, compression only CPR. So it kind of rounded it out much better for community settings with the bleeding as well as compression only CPR, and then made sure it was an hour and easily accessible. 
I, th- I think it's, see, I actually attended a session for the old program and it was, in my opinion, always too many things going on at once to where they were asking the layperson to remember way too much stuff mm. to where I think that if you focus on these two aspects, it's going to help with retention and also maybe with people feeling able to actually help. And for us, there were kind of two things that made us really excited about this program. One is that this is an emergency medicine-backed program for community outreach in disaster-type situations. And the reality is, is we as emergency physicians, we're going to be the first physicians many times to see these patients. And so to have our college backing a program that is teaching these skills, we felt was, uh, was very valuable. And then also, as Landon mentioned, we both have small kids. Oftentimes, we're leaving them at community centers or in the care of others. And uh, we felt passionate about teaching these skills to, to other people. So the program itself focuses on compression-only CPR as well as massive hemorrhage control kind of activating the EMS system and a couple other minor details. But it really is focused for those without any medical training to get some basic skills that could be uh, life-changing. So what was the process for you guys identifying this is the project you're going to work on? How do you actually take it from a concept? And and granted, there is um, a little bit of foundation to this already. The, The ideas existed. But how do you take it from that into a course that is actually a product that you can provide to the community? Because there's a lot of groundwork and a lot of legwork that goes into conceptualizing something and then actually turning it into a tangible item, which is what you've now done. Yeah. And so we're really lucky. So we definitely, as we mentioned, we've been working with ASAP and they've done most of the groundwork, the nitty gritty, kind of putting things together making sure there's appropriate dialogue in the lecture as well as putting together professional pictures and everything. So we've been there along the way just to kind of help tweak it, kind of give input. So in terms of how much goes into the course, I'm sure there's a lot. <laughs> We're kind of there along the way just to help kind of tweak everything. But um, ASAP's definitely been funding and, and getting that going. Yeah, so they, they provided really the foundation of the course. They put together a, a basic PowerPoint presentation, the steps on the hands-on training, and then uh, they gave us the opportunity to then review it, provide feedback, edit some of the content, simplify some things, add some other points throughout the, the course. So that was kind of our role in the initial phase. And then, uh, and then we also had the opportunity to be the ones to pilot the program and do the first uh, community-centered uh, trainings. Yeah, and of, of course, you know, being residents, we've been able to develop pre and post course surveys. We've been able to see really an impact of the course and the people we're teaching, and then also help develop kind of like, you know, documents to help get people started when they're starting from, you know, essentially nothing to kind of get this going in their own community. So how was that initial rollout? How did the first course and the pilot course go? Yeah, um, it was a, it was exciting. Like we worked for like nine months leading up to it. And we finally had our material, finally had the, both the physical material for the training and the PowerPoint presentation. And, uh, we first rolled it out to our fellow EM residents because we wanted to get them involved, get them excited about the program. And, uh, it was fascinating because as emergency physicians, Oftentimes we pull down tourniquets, but we rarely actually have to put on tourniquets. And one of our uh, our most senior faculty... Yeah, he's been doing it at least 25, coming from 30 years. Yeah. Great guy, awesome doctor. Yeah, he's a great doctor, very knowledgeable. And uh, he came out to us and he's like, you know, I've never put a tourniquet on. You guys, thanks for this training. You know, now I feel like if I had to, I could and confidently could could place one of these tourniquets if somebody was bleeding. And then you know, obviously the compression CPR stuff they're very familiar with. But but it was pretty interesting. Even, even those with a lot of medical experience found some benefit from the course. It's so true. I have 
just the other day, a nurse came up to me with one of our new tourniquets in the emergency department. He goes, how the heck do I use this? I don't even know what to do. And, and the only reason I know how to use them is from an EMS background where yeah. once you know how to use a tourniquet, they're yeah. all a variation of a theme. And it took me a second. I can put it on my own arm, twist. Oh, twist in the wrong direction. got to twist this way. This flap goes. It's not necessarily the most intuitive thing you do. And it's odd to think as emergency medicine providers that maybe we don't know how to do that. So I'm sure that training is great. In non-trauma centers, oftentimes we might have to put on those tourniquets. So it's not just until help arrives in the field, but this might be good training for everybody because we are the help that arrives and we better know what we're doing when, when the patient comes to us. Right. And that's kind of the beautiful thing is that we're seeing is that these lay people that have zero medical knowledge, it's not really an intuitive thing, the tourniquet, but once you see it, it's easy. Right. Yeah. And so there's not much to it. So it's nice to have that hands-on aspect of the course and people love it. They yeah. really get excited. And-, and then also the compression part of it. I remember in the past, the first time I got CPR certified, it was so complicated. They focused on all these different numbers and times and positions. But whereas in this course, we teach compression CPR because we've, you know, research has shown that that's one of the most important factors in survival on a sudden cardiac arrest. And it's very simple. You know, put your hands on the center of the chest, push hard and fast, about 120 a minute. And, uh, and then we get to give them feedback. So they get real time feedback on their, their training during this course. And, uh, a lot of them walk away saying, Hey, you know what? Now I, I think I actually could or would be willing to try doing CPR if somebody suddenly collapsed. And I thought that was pretty awesome. You take the mystery and the mystique out of doing CPR. Yeah, it's not exactly. a complicated thing to do. And then when you take away the idea of blowing air into somebody's mouth, which is what always caught lay people up, right? Yeah. I don't, I'm not going to kiss. I'm not going to make out with somebody I don't know. All I have to do is put my hands <laughs> oh, on you don't want to do that? Yeah. <laughs> or get vomited on. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not in college anymore, but that's a whole other story. But <laughs> the concept of just pushing hard and fast on their chest and having somebody tell you that's a little too fast, that's not quite hard enough, you get that momentum down um, and you sing, sing staying alive yeah. to yep, yourself right. and uh, you're good to go. And it makes it a lot easier. It takes the mystique out of it. So people are willing to do it, which is absolutely awesome. Yeah. And, and for me, I love this because I feel like too many times as providers, as physicians or, or nurses or people that work in healthcare, we often feel that when we're outside of the hospital, that, we're, well, I'm not at work. It's not my problem. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we feel that public health really isn't our issue. That's what the public health department's for. And that's what their family doctor's for. Where in reality, this is where public health and our science cross roads. Right. Yeah. It's where we can make a meaningful impact in the community. Yeah. It's where we can empower people that when they see something, they can do something. Right. Rather than just feel, feel. 100% our lane. 100% That our we lane. need to be in and we need yeah, to be promoting this. And on that point. Part of the grant was kind of nice is that we tied into the grant not only our training supplies, which we'll leave at our residency and hopefully, you know, make it a a continual thing um, with the residents, but um, also we uh, made sure we wrote into the grant uh, actual donations of the supplies, the supply kit. So, you know, we're focusing on high schools, community centers, and we're actually going to be donating tourniquets, bandages, and supplies so that if there's ever an event that they have the tools to make sure that they can help someone. Absolutely great. So if somebody wanted to bring this project home and start doing this at their own site, whether it's their hospital or in their community setting, how do they bring to help arrives to them? Yeah, great question. Um, so ASAP has developed a, a very nice website. If you go to ASAP's website and then search until help arrives, it'll give you links to both how to get supplies, how to sign up as an instructor. They're developing instructor videos and uh, you can download the lecture that's given. It's a very simple lecture. Anybody with emergency medicine level of training can uh, can give this presentation and do this training. But that's probably the, the easiest way is to go to ASAP's website and they've got links to all that stuff. The biggest barrier that we've seen is getting the training kits. 
So uh, ASAP has a couple of training kits that in the right circumstances they can loan out for a short period of time, but they also have links to purchase training kits. So if you can get sponsors, we've been talking with a community college that does have a little bit of extra funding and we've been talking to them about doing some more trainings for businesses that they work with. And through situations like that, we potentially can get some extra funding to buy more training kits to do bigger, bigger trainings. But that's probably the biggest barrier is actually getting access to those training kits because they are expensive. It's about $1,500. When you talk about training kits, what all goes into a training kit for the program? It's essentially a suitcase full of all the goodies. So you have usually two, two legs, which are having wounds in them. You can pack them, do tourniquets actually on them. comes with all the supplies that would come in a bleeding control kit, essentially. So it has all the tourniquets, the Israeli bandages, the, the combat quick, gauze, quick clot, quick shears, Sharpie pen, some hand sanitizer, some gloves, you know, the most important things um, when this trauma is happening. Um, and then... Um, you mean I don't have time to put a dollop and let it dry for 15 seconds? <laughs> there you go. Wash in, wash out, guys. Come on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so that's essentially what's in the training kit. The legs are the big thing, you know, these high-tech legs, and then it all comes together in a kit. And then it's also recommended to have CPR training mannequins as well, yeah. which is aside from the actual bleeding control kit, so which you can also purchase at the Until Help Arrives shop. Yep. So beyond just Until Help Arrives, what would you say to somebody who has an idea or wants to get involved in either getting ASAP funding or funding from somebody else, somewhere else, for a startup program like this? What would be your advice to them based on the experience you two have had? Well, we've actually both been involved in a number of uh, fundraising events over the last few years, whether it's medical mission trips or fundraising for you know disease research, those types of things. I think that uh, it all depends on how much money you need to get going. If you just need $1,000, just start a GoFundMe and get your friends and family involved. Hospitals oftentimes have some, some grant money for these types of things. Your local ASEP chapter may have some money. Uh, and then if you need to, you can go to the national chapter and uh, you can fill out a, a grant request like we did. Yeah, definitely use your resources. There's a lot of different grants out there that you can apply for. Also, if you're a resident, the uh, GME essentially should have some extra money lying around. Unfortunately, we weren't able to partake of that, but um, I assume that'd probably be be a pretty good outlet. And it's a great kit that you can have and keep at your residency program to not only train your own residents, but also go out to the community. So, Absolutely awesome project. And I have no doubt that you guys are saving lives without even knowing it because of this. So awesome work. And thanks so much for bringing our attention to it. Cool. Thanks so much. Thanks, you guys. All right. Well, thanks all those EM Over Easy listeners for checking us out again. Be sure to visit us on our social media sites, Twitter, Facebook, and a little bit on Instagram. Check out our website, emovereasy.com, with lots of good stuff coming in the new year with a bigger, better, and expanded site. And we look forward to talking to you next time. Tim Landon, thanks so much for joining us. All right. Thank you. Thank you, guys.